This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November 22, 2022. I'm Alex Smythe and filling in for Dave Brown. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Marcy Yale of AEBC tells you all about their conference for International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Lawrence Gunther reflects on some of the takeaways of COP27, the United Nations Climate Change Conference. And author Dr. Stephen F. Knott discusses his book, Coming to Terms with John F. Kennedy. But let's start today with our top news. The, yesterday, we heard from CSIS Director David Vigneault, who says that he made the recommendation to invoke the act, despite the convoy not meeting the definition laid out by the act itself. You know, the confines of the CSIS Act, the same words based on, on legal interpretation, jurisprudence, federal court rulings, and so on, there was a very clear understanding of what those words meant in the confines of the CSIS Act. And what I, uh, I was reassured by is that there was, you know, in the context of the Emergencies Act, there was to be a separate interpretation based on the confines of that, that act. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair also testified, saying that the situation became a threat to national security. Failure to resolve in Ottawa would have resulted just continue to like whack-a-mole, chasing border blockades from one point of entry to another. There are 119 border points of entry, land border points of entry in this country, plus our airports, and all, all of them are vulnerable to this type of unlawful action. And in my opinion, that represented a serious threat to their, our national security and became a national emergency. And as I mentioned, the, uh, the inquiry continues today. Karen Rebo shares what we can expect from today's testimonies. The inquiry has already heard from more than 65 witnesses over five weeks on the federal government's decision to invoke emergency powers to clear last winter's Freedom Convoy protests that took over downtown Ottawa and blockaded border crossings. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino is first up this morning. He will likely face questions about his suggestion earlier this year that police requested the Emergencies Act be used when they later asserted they did not. Later today, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc may be asked about Prairie Province's concerns that they weren't adequately consulted on federal plans. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. During the inquiry, concerns were raised over Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's safety as documents suggested protesters would try to pinpoint his location. Don Kelly had that angle. The concerns are outlined in a threat assessment tabled as part of evidence presented to the Emergencies Act inquiry. An assessment prepared just days before thousands of protesters reached Ottawa warned that Trudeau's residence might be a target for demonstrators. Once protesters arrived in large numbers, Trudeau and his family were moved to an undisclosed location for security reasons. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press. Now on to some international news. The UN Security Council held an emergency meeting following the North Korean missile test last week. Tom Rivers has more. UN doesn't like the latest ICBM launch, but seems powerless to do anything about it. 
UN Deputy Chief Rosemary DiCarlo. I join the Secretary General in urging the DPRK to take immediate steps to resume dialogue leading to sustainable peace and the complete and verifiable denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The Security Council gathered to discuss the North's test last Friday that showed a potential to strike anywhere in the U.S. Some experts say it's designed to carry several warheads to overcome missile defense systems. Tom Rivers, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. Now back at home, new StatCan data shows that the, there was an increase in homicides last year. Kelly Malone had the numbers. Statistics Canada data shows there were 788 homicides last year. That's an increase of 3%. Of those, 184 were gang-related, marking the highest rate since 2005. The new data says Saskatchewan had the highest homicide rate, but Ontario saw the largest percentage increase, up 15%. The rate of Indigenous victims across the country remained disproportionately high, six times higher than non-Indigenous people. Black and South Asian people also had higher rates of being victims of homicide. Kelly Malone, the Canadian Press. A senior military official says that Russia has resumed flights of long-range bombers across the Arctic after pausing during the early stages of the war with Ukraine. Brenda Molina Navidad files this report. NORAD Deputy Commander Lieutenant General Alain Pelletier says Russian submarines are also operating off both coasts as Moscow seeks to demonstrate its ability to strike Canada and the U.S. He made the comments while appearing before the Senate Defense Committee, which is studying the military's ability to defend Canada's Arctic. The committee also heard that Canada and the U.S. have started to work on upgrading NORAD, the shared early warning system that comprises North America's first line of defense against a foreign attack by air. Officials say the system currently has gaps that will need to be addressed, including the ability to detect and track hypersonic and cruise missiles. Brenda Molina-Navidad, the Canadian Press. And finally, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says that Canada is adding new sanctions on Belarus for its support of Russia over the Ukrainian war. Karen Rebo has more. Jolie says Belarusian leadership is enabling human rights violations and allowing the country to serve as a launching pad for Russia's attacks on their neighbour. Canada is adding 22 Belarusian officials to the sanctions list, including people who are involved in the stationing and transport of Russian military personnel and equipment. The sanctions also affect 16 Belarusian companies across the military manufacturing, tech, engineering, banking and rail sectors. The announcement comes as the country's exiled opposition leader Sviatlana Sikhanuskaya visits Ottawa for meetings with Jolie and other parliamentarians today. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. And now let's turn to our polls. Yesterday I asked you, how punctual are you? And the results were in line with what we kind of had here. So uh, 67% of you said very punctual, 27% of you said somewhat, and then 6% said not at all. I wish I could be in the not at all, but, uh, you know, my my own anxiety wouldn't let me get there. So uh, today I wanted to ask you a separate question because, you know, this morning I set my alarm and sure enough, I slept through it. It's uh, staying at a hotel in the noisy backgrounds. It's uh, a deaf problems, that's for sure, not hearing the alarm go off. So how do you ensure that you wake up on time in the morning? So the first option is you set multiple alarms. You have someone wake you, you rely on your own internal clock or other. And be sure to comment below and uh, let us know if you select other, 
how do you try to stay awake? So uh, first off, I want to bring in Mike Ross here and get his thoughts on this. Mike, how do you ensure you wake up in the morning? Um, my whole career, uh, a lot of time has been spent working early mornings. So I, I've worked morning shows where I w- had to be up at 3.30 in the morning. Um, I've been very – hang on. Let me just knock on wood here. <laughs> I've been very lucky. I've really only been late for work once in all those years, and that is because of multiple alarms. So in the early days of my career, I had an alarm clock on my nightstand, and I had an alarm clock across the bedroom. And the the secret there is because I have someone in my room with me, my wife (laughs) sleeping next to me, I don't want that second alarm going off. She can be used to the first one and just roll over and go back to sleep. But if that second one goes off, it takes you longer to get across the room to turn it off. That can be very annoying to your partner. So that sort of conditioned me to get up on that first alarm and then walk across the room and make sure that I shut off that second one so it didn't blare through the room. And eventually uh, it just changed from a second alarm clock to the alarm on my cell phone. So I still, to this day, have double alarms no matter what. And very rarely do I make it to that second alarm. But if I do, that's it. There's no snooze buttoning for me. I get up. Yeah, see, that was uh, my problem, especially this morning. I only set the one alarm. Typically, I only do. Normally, I hear it. Now, this is, you know, part and parcel of, of having hearing loss. You know, not all, uh, not always am I going to hear it, especially if the air condition is blasting, uh, you know, the room is noisy, things like that. So I think I need to take that, that lesson to have those multiple alarms going just in case so I don't, <laughs> I don't end up missing this morning. Thankfully, I, was, I still woke up internally. There's something about my body where when I need to get up, I, I have to be woken by alarm. But when I don't, like my body just jolts me awake. It's like, you should be awake by now. So thankfully, it was only about 10 minutes or, or 15 minutes that I slept in past my, my alarm this morning. But I, I've learned my lesson. The, the, the warning has been heeded. Uh, let's bring in Eliza Rocco here and uh, get her thoughts. Eliza, how do you wake up in the morning? It's actually a combination of all of these options, I'd say. I definitely have about two or three uh, alarms set in the morning, just in case. I do like to press snooze on that first one, so the second alarm is very helpful. Um, I also, uh, I do, like worst case scenario, if I'm asleep and my partner wakes up, I always wake up before him. But if, if he's awake and I'm not awake, he'll, he'll wake me up. So that's a nice backup to have. I also, my, for some reason, I don't know why, I have a really good internal clock. If I am on a schedule like working here and I have to be here at a certain time every day, five days out of the week, my body gets used to that. And I usually wake up a little bit before my alarms, actually, um, and then turn that first alarm off and take a little nap before uh, having to get up and continue my day. But the last one, the foolproof one, is my cat's insist on being fed at 7 a.m. If I'm not up by that time, they will come and jump on me until I am up. See, there we go. That's the secret. I just need to get a pet that that's, relies on me to feed them, and I will never sleep in again. Exactly. I think that's a takeaway I'm, I'm getting from you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you got to get cats. They're the best alarm of all time. The, between the pouncing on you and the, the screaming for food, you'll never <laughs> sleep again.
there we go. I think that's a positive. Uh, but uh, we'll throw it to you at home. Be sure to vote. You can uh, vote online at Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. or at on Twitter at Accessible Media. And as I mentioned before, if you select other, we want to see those comments and we want to know what you specifically do in the morning to make sure you wake up. Now let's head back over to Mike Ross, who has our weather update. Thanks, Alex. This is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We begin in St. John's, Newfoundland. There's clouds today, some rain, some snow, between 5 and 10 centimeters in total, and your high is plus 2. Your wind chill, minus 9 this morning. In Halifax, there will be showers ending this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Your high is uh, going to be around 4 degrees and pretty steady. Montreal, sunshine today, and then clouds in the afternoon. The high is zero. The wind chill is minus seven. Ottawa, sunny with clouds moving in through the midday. The high is plus one. The wind chill is minus 14. Let's go to Toronto, where there's a mix of sun and cloud with a high of plus two and a wind chill of minus four. Thunder Bay is cloudy today with some flurries, a high of minus two. The wind chill this morning, minus 17. It goes up to minus four in the afternoon. Light snow in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and then clearing skies. Your high is zero. The wind chill will be minus 13 this morning. Saskatoon has mainly sunny skies and a high of plus two. The wind chill there this morning is minus 10. Calgary, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of seven degrees. Into Edmonton, mainly cloudy and a high of plus four. Yellowknife has snow today, about five centimeters in total. Your high is minus one, your wind chill near minus eight. Vancouver has rain today, ending early in the afternoon. Your high is nine degrees. And into Victoria, periods of rain ending near the midday. The high in Victoria today is going to be 10 degrees. Wish we had that here. Melt what little bit of snow we still have left. That is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll be checking in with you a bit later for the roundtable discussion. But coming up after the break, Marcy Yale of AEBC tells you about their conference for International Day of Persons with Disabilities. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-DV. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, filling in for Dave Brown. Coming up soon, on December 3rd, Canadians across the country will get a chance to attend a virtual conference to recognize International Day of Persons with Disabilities. The event will be put on by the Toronto chapter of the Alliance for the Equity of Blind Canadians. Joining us now to tell us a bit more is Marcy Yale, the president of the AEBC. Hi, Marcy. How's it going? going good good morning so this year's theme for the conference is empowering ourselves thriving in this new reality can you elaborate on this idea and what it means well first of all uh, the alliance for equality of blind canadians has been leading this conference actually the toronto chapter has been leading 
this uh, December 3rd shindig for the last five years. So this will be the sixth year, the third virtual event. And basically what we want to talk about are how you make the best of life and how you go out and, and make the world better for yourself and for everybody else. So we have various sub themes of the idea of empowering ourselves. I mean, the idea of mainstream versus specialized tech, for example, um, the fact that there are more and more mainstream items that you can just pick up at the regular electronics store and walk away with them, uh, that's, that's empowering. Um, the, the idea that accessibility is good for all, uh, the idea of disability without poverty, living in dignity, all of these things go to you know, thriving now and how we do it. And so are you and covering and, and are you covering like a variety of different topics? And I, I know it's still still focusing on that theme, but it's touching on different areas, as you mentioned, with technology and, and things like that. Well, we have we have quite the array of speakers uh, we've got. We've got David Lepofsky opening. I guess I don't have to say much about him. Most, <laughs> most people know who he is. Yes. Uh, we've got Ingrid Palmer, who is uh, the CEO and founder of Focus on Ability. And she's going to be talking about uh, you know, how, to, how to support marginalized people and how to make life better. Um, and then I think our, I, I don't know, I, I guess our coup is we have the Accessibility Commissioner of Canada, Mr. Michael Gottheil, and he has decided that he wants to do an interactive chat. So that should be fun. Um, and then we have a panel of four great speakers. We've got Penny Bennett, uh, who may, some of you would know as Penny LeClaire, and she has been an advocate forever. <laughs> We have Keenan Weller from Live, Work, Play in Ottawa, um, more about uh, cognitive disabilities and people on the autism spectrum. And then we've got Robert Hansen, who is known for parasport. He was a swimmer for 17 years and he's got an oodle of medals for it. And then we have Sandia Rao from iBug Today, which is a user group in the States that has become very popular with blind people in Canada as well. And they do tech training for free. Lots of it, lots of it, lots of it. They also do social things like movie nights every Friday night and uh, all sorts of things. And Sandia herself is very inspiring. So that's... That's the lineup, and I think between all of them, it's going to be very, very, very interesting and inter and very inspiring. I think. Well, absolutely, and as you you just listed off a bunch of great great spokespeople for the community. There's those interactive uh, conversations, so there's lots for people to to get excited about. Now, you mentioned this is your third online uh, conference. Can you talk a bit about, you know? the accessibility features that are going to be available for those who, who want to attend. Yeah, we have CART, and which is real-time captioning, and we have American Sign Language Interpreting. Uh, so the event, we hope, will be as accessible as we can make it. Uh, you know, 
you can only do so much and we hope that that we've done enough to help the community participate and uh, it's really it's going to be fun i'm looking forward to it this will be the second year i've hosted it i don't think i hosted it the first year or maybe i did but um i'm the techie of the day so <laughs> we'll see what kind of trouble i can get myself into and how are you feeling about the hosting i mean that's a lot of responsibility i'm sure it's also a lot of fun too well, hey, um, it's going to be fun. And again, AMI, thank you, is uh, going to be broadcasting it live. I shouldn't, I shouldn't forget to say that. Uh, Joita and the Pulse will be broadcasting uh, the, the Shindig live. So that'll be great, too. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I'd love to mention that we have four gold sponsors for the event and one silver sponsor. So they're going to be covering all of the the uh, extra accommodation costs for the event. Um, we've got Baker LLP, which is a law firm. We've got Canadian Council of the Blind. We've got the Ontario Chambers of Commerce and Trailblazers. Those are our four four gold sponsors, and then CNIB is our silver sponsor. So that's that's amazing to have everything you know covered by partners that that want to be involved and we've got about 10 other organizations that have partnered with us so absolutely so. and that's always key to have that support in and out of the community now you mentioned Juita is going to be there she's going to be uh, uh covering the the event and, and broadcasting it here for ami how else can can people get get access can attend to find out more information about the event well the uh the registration is free uh and it's up on eventbrite and the the link is too long to say it i think that, that's <laughs> fine we'll, we'll make a, sure it's on our it's numbers. on our uh, now with dave brown uh, blog so so folks at home can check it out after the show then and and, yeah, and so and there is an email address as well. Perfect. Yeah, all that information. We'll we'll make sure all that information is on our our blog after the show. Now, in terms of outside of this event, what else is ABC up to? Do you got any other exciting events coming down the pipeline? Well, right now we're working on uh, more advocacy issues. Uh, we've sent we've sent information on how we would like to see Bill C-22 uh, get amended before it's passed, and that's the Canada Disability Benefit Act. Uh, we want to see that changed. <laughs> and um, what else are we working on? Lots of little things that that right now don't add up to you know a lot, but if you take them over a year and you look back at what what have we done, it just it amazes me how much we actually do get done. Well, and then also too, I mean, all your focus right now is is making sure this event happens and goes off without a hitch. So, uh, I, I'm sure when we check in next time, you know, there'll be other things on the horizon. There'll be the next events that you're you're going to be looking towards then. Uh, you bet. <laughs> Marcy, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and chatting with me today. Thanks, Alex. Okay, that was Marcy Yale, who is the president of AEBC. The virtual conference for International Day of Persons with Disabilities is taking place on Saturday, December 3rd, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. 
And as Marcy mentioned, The Pulse will be doing a special broadcast of the event on AMI-audio, so be sure to tune in for that. And we'll also share the information, as I mentioned, on the blog at ami.ca slash now. Coming up after the break, Lawrence Gunther reflects on some of the takeaways from COP27, the United Nations Climate Change Conference. But first, here is the Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index slipped just a few points yesterday, while tech stocks and losses at the likes of Apple, Alphabet, Tesla and Meta dragged U.S. markets lower. Toronto's TSX index dipped three points to close at 19,977. New York's Dow Jones average lost 45 points and the Nasdaq gave back 121. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 170 points. Hong Kong's Hang Seng index lost 231 and our dollar is trading overseas this morning, a little higher at 74.52 cents U.S. Asian stock markets were mixed today after Wall Street sank and Chinese antivirus controls fueled concern about an economic slowdown. StatsCan is due to release its retail sales figures for September this morning and the likelihood of a strike that could paralyze rail traffic in the U.S. in two weeks is rising after the largest of 12 rail unions rejected the latest contract offered by railroads yesterday. From on the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you from AMI-tv. The Committee of Parties, also known as COP27, concluded last week. Joining us to reflect on some of the discussions that took place is Lawrence Gunther, the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, heard on AMI-audio on Sundays at 3 p.m. and is available as a podcast. Lawrence, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. So we, what are some of the key takeaways from the COP27 conference in Egypt? Well, th- things just wrapped up. They went all weekend to, to get a deal struck. And, uh, you know, by Friday, it didn't look like there was going to be a deal. It looked like uh, there wasn't much progress made on any front, and a deal was just not going to happen. You know, they, they, they pulled it out of the fire, though. On Sunday, they, they got there. And uh, what they managed to do is set up a loss and damage fund. This is the first time in 27 years of meetings, and they meet every year, that uh, a recognition of the impact on you know what we call third world or developing countries uh, by you know the developed countries has been acknowledged. Yeah, you know, we you know we're always thinking about the big picture, the world, and we're thinking about ourselves, our belly buttons. But you know we hear these stories all the time from these other countries, these less fortunate countries that are really feeling the um, the brutal impact of climate change. So this lost and damaged fund will be a place where rich countries can put money and then pay it out to these to these developing countries for the damages they've incurred, not sort of like a, a lawsuit, but to help them rebuild and recover uh, and uh, to build resilience into their their country, into their uh, whether it's the people, the the cities, the towns, nature, what have you. Now that's good news, but you know, like, you know, one step forward, two step back. That that's the case here again. So you know, where we got those two steps back, one is um, 
you know, the money has not yet been allocated to this. Uh, it, and now we have a Republican uh, House in the United States, a Republican-led House in the United States. So that means getting the majority Republican leadership in the House to vote for this type of financing of this lost uh, fund, lost renewal fund. The other issue is um, at the last minute, some of the oil-rich countries blocked um, a resolution that we would uh, agree to phase out coal and oil fuel use. And that was blocked at the end. Canada was disappointed in that, as well were many other countries. For sure. And I think something like that was uh, quite quite understandable why uh, something like that would happen. But as you mentioned, too, this was... Uh, this was not a deal that was necessarily set to be made at this conference because the conference was supposed to end, I believe, on Friday, and they kept extending it until Sunday until they could actually get this this deal signed. So that that was a a huge change that a lot of people didn't see coming uh, af- at least halfway through the conference. But uh, one of the issues that pertain to Canada in particular is that we need to focus on the resiliency of nature as well as the impacts of and effects of climate change. Why is that so important? You know, there's two words that I've wrapped my head around or I tried to, and, and you hear the media using the words mitigation and resilience, and sometimes it's used interchangeably. This is how I see it and, and um, or understand it. Mitigation is, you know, to stop it from happening, to reduce it, you know, to make it less so. So when we're talking about climate change, how do we deal with climate change? You know, we can block it, we can try to block it, but really what we have to do is get to the source. We have to stop the fuel using the fossil fuels and 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 it stops um giving climate change its energy to to change, right? If we take away the uh, the, the emphasis in, in climate change will slow down and stop in how we measure that. We said, well, if we can keep it down below 1.5 degree temperature increase by uh, 2050 or by the end of the century, we've done well. Anything more than that, then we're going to have big problems. Well, we look. it looks like we're on that path already to have big problems. We, we haven't, we're not reaching our 1.5 degree temperature goal as set out in the Paris Accord. And that was in the COP meeting in 2015, where all, all the countries agreed that we wouldn't surpass 1.5 temperature increase by the end of the century. We're all the countries, for the most part, all the countries that are producing fossil fuels and, and, and contributing to climate change are failing to meet their, their commitments to the Paris Accord, including Canada. So that's on the mitigation front. You know, we've got to work on that. There's more work to be done on that for sure. But in Canada's case, you know, we're one of the... Canada has some of the most expansive nature in the world. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of nature. We have a lot of uh, shoreline. We have the longest coastline of any country in the world. We're, you know, part of the largest freshwater uh, systems, watersheds in the world with the Great Lakes. We share that with the United States. You know, we have tons of rivers and lakes and, and forests. And, um, we have a lot of agriculture, we have cities, we have coastal communities, and we've been watching as all of this is being impacted by climate change right here in Canada. So, you know, as much as we are consider ourselves uh, one of the few countries, you know, benefits that, that have economic prosperity, a group of seven kind of leader nation, we're also right up there with the, all the other countries that are being impacted heavily 
by climate change. And this is where resilience comes in. You know, taking our foot off the pedal of um, reducing or mitigating climate change is not the case if we we're going to work on resilience. You know, it's not one or the other. And and I know like four or five years ago, people used to think, well, if we if we take our focus off mitigating climate change, you know, we're we're admitting defeat by sort of preparing our communities for increased flooding or storm surges along the coast or more heat, you know, extreme heat or more extreme weather, more storms, more uh, flooding in, 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 you know, central Canada. You know, these are all impacts of climate change. And we need to sort of think about what does that, how can we prepare instead of just respond? Because if we're just always responding, we're pouring a lot of money Insurance companies are spending a lot of money. Governments are spending a lot of money. People are losing a lot and spending a lot of money to constantly rebuild, recover, and get back to get back to normal. If we can prepare better, we might not have to spend so much money to recover because the recoveries will be less impactful. The storm, the climate change events will be less impactful. Absolutely. Now that's no excuse, right? That's no excuse to stop mitigation. It doesn't have to be. Now, in in terms of when we're talking about climate change, the impacts of climate change, oftentimes, in, in my perspective, it's always kind of seen as a bubble. It's always, okay, the weather and storm systems is really mm-hmm. where, where you witness it. But it, it's also witnessed in the natural world. You, you did a great job of laying out how much nature lies within our country, how we're yeah. surrounded by nature in every step. So do you have specific examples of how nature has been affected by climate change? Yeah, it's a good point because, you know, sometimes examples bring it home, right? So just recently, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners and watchers, you know, watch that show um, Deadliest Catch. It's filmed out of Alaska on the Northeast uh, Pacific Ocean, you know, the same ocean we share with uh, British Columbia. And the snow crab is a huge fishery up there. It's it's snow crab is probably the most... Um, um, if you have, if you can catch snow crab, you're making money. You're like that's the ultimate crab in terms of uh, commerce. And um, th- we were on track for a, a tremendous year in 2022 because four years ago, they noticed the scientists uh, that track uh, the various crab populations and set the quotas and uh, restrictions. They noticed there was a huge um, birth rate of, of uh, young snow crabs taking place four years ago. And they said, wow, this is amazing. And, uh, it, you know, there's going to be so many snow crabs that are reaching maturity and the right size for harvest. Because if they're not big enough, you can't harvest them. You have to put them back. So this was the year that all these snow crabs were supposed to reach that age. Well, it turns out there were so many of them um, that last year they ran out of food down there. There was nothing left for them to eat, right? And it, what do you do with 8 billion snow crab? They they turned to eating each other. And um, as a result, about 7 billion of the 8 billion snow crab disappeared. Now, some people say, well, maybe they left. And they can travel pretty fast. But, you know, 8 billion snow crabs didn't just walk across to Siberia or somewhere else. I mean they found the remains of a lot of these snow crabs. So the season's closed this year, the season's going to be closed next year, and probably the year after that. That's a huge loss to the economy up there. But this is this happened because of a small, very small increase in, in temperature of the, the temperature of the ocean. That's what triggered this um, birth 
uh, increase of the snow crabs four years ago, just a two or three degree increase in, in the ocean temperatures. And then it causes cannibalism and this complete um, collapse of the snow crab population. Yeah, I, I remember when I first saw the story saying that they basically don't know where billions of snow crab have gone. And you're kind of sitting there and wondering, how can you not know where billions of snow crab have gone? I mean, the the... This, uh, yeah. uh, the their grounds are, are pretty specific and pretty mapped out, so that was quite a shock. And then finding out more of those details of how that impact took place. And, and another example, too, that I, I remember hearing quite recently was the salmon populations and spawning in B.C. because of the drought conditions that they were experiencing, that the rivers were mm. drying up. These spawning uh, beds that the salmon were using were no longer uh, usable due to the change in weather. And these are all just... A couple of very direct and specific examples, but this is happening everywhere in our in oh, yeah. our natural environment. Yeah, it is. It is, and uh, you know the snow, the the salmon in the southern part of British Columbia are suffering because the the, the rivers are just too warm. They're just too warm. They they don't go up them. If they do go up them, they're exhausted because they're cold blooded creatures and they have to expend so much energy when their metabolism's running so hot. And then they and then the the river levels are very low. Uh, so it's a big problem. But then if you go further north now, you know, where you have glaciers up in the up in uh, northern British Columbia and, and Alaska, those glaciers are melting and they're making tremendous salmon rivers. So the salmon population is, is switching north so much so that there's now salmon going over Alaska into into um, the the Arctic Ocean. And, and the Inuit are now catching salmon. They've never caught salmon before. They you know, what do you do with these fish? And what, what about their their local fish? You know, the fish they've depended on for thousands of years. What does this mean? This invasion of salmon into the Arctic Ocean. So it's, it's just shifting. Everything's shifting. Now, uh, quickly, because we are running out of time here, mm -hmm. are there things that we can do to uh, kind of help mitigate these these impacts? Are there different uh, uh, tools and, and measures we should be trying to enact and put in place here? Well, we definitely have to, you know, pay more attention to the science. We have to invest in the science. You know, things are happening. Uh, we have to understand what's happening. We have to understand how to prepare to, to you know, to stop those things from having a serious effect on us. And and we have to understand, you know, how this is impacting nature too, because this is this is uh, impacting the balance of life. And what happens in nature? happens to us, right? This is a one health situation. We're all connected. And we like to think we're in the city. We're not impacting what happens out there in the outdoors. It's not going to impact us. We're safe in our cities and our air conditioned, heated uh, apartments, condominiums and homes and so forth. You know, we're safe. We're good. But you know, if we can get people to go out there and understand, you know, through information and get involved with the science, get involved with understanding what's happening out there, helping to build the resilience and get involved with that. I think by connecting people to nature through this, we're going to realize that we're all part of the big same big planet. It's one big blue marble in a sense. And uh, we need to take care of it because what happens to to nature happens to us and, and vice versa. You know, we got to we have to give back. Absolutely. Now, Lawrence, thank you for this. Uh, before we let you go, what can you uh, let us know about what's coming up in the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther? Uh, listening to nature. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at the research of how nature speaks to each other, you know, how the different animals and plants communicate with each other through sound, how we're learning to interpret that sound, and and a little bit of an updates on some of our um, Iron Man, blind Iron Man participants, and uh, and outdoor with GPS. We're going to talk about that as well. 
Amazing. I can't wait to check out that episode. Lawrence, thank you so much for chatting with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Lawrence Gunther, who is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, and you can be, hear that every Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI. You can also follow him on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther. Coming up next, Mike Ross, Nisreen Abdel-Majin, and Ramia Muthan join me for a roundtable discussion. But first, here's reporter Dave Pecker with Tech Trends. Digital Trends Caleb Dennison says his top headphone recommendation this holiday shopping season is Sony's WH-1000XM5. It's a wireless, noise-canceling headphone, and putting these things on is like going to another world. It just completely shuts the world out. It's the best noise-canceling you can get. He says last year's XM4s are worth a look, too, if you can track them down. The improvement between the XM4 and the XM5 are, are, are modest, you know, um, but the XM5 are just a little bit easier to find. If Sony doesn't strike your fancy, Dennison recommends the Sennheiser Momentum wireless headphones. Uh, sound quality is the number one priority with these, but the, the noise canceling is also very effective. And they're a little less expensive than the Sony XM5. The Sennheisers retail for about $300. With Tech Trends, I'm Dave Packer, ABC News. Now with Dave Brown, I'm Alex Mike filling in for Dave Brown. Uh, we're changing things up a bit today. We, we're bringing in our weekly roundtable discussion a bit early. So I'm going to welcome in Mike Ross, Nazreen Abdelmajin, and uh, Ramia Muthan to get this started. So we'll hand it over to Mike Ross, who has our roundtable topic for the day. Thank you, Alex. So my sister-in-law was visiting over the weekend. My wife's sister was here. And she loves to do home improvements. She is really good at it, and she loves doing it. And so for years, every time she comes down here, she's always asking ahead of time, hey, what kind of projects do you got going? What do, what do you need done? What do we want? So, for example, um, my wife and her sister, uh, they they redid the entire facade of our gas fireplace, the whole mantle. They, they, they did like really nice uh, sort of stone tile work on it. Uh, that was a couple of summers ago. Last summer, they refinished the uh, banisters in, uh, in our staircase. Then this past summer, she installed ceiling fans in all of our, our rooms. And I really appreciate it. I mean, I'm a pretty handy guy, but I find it difficult sometimes to schedule things, you know, the, like putting in a ceiling fan or taking the time to do that. I find that hard to, to, to do. I think mostly it's just procrastination more than anything else. But when my sister-in-law comes to town, she's really good at it. So she she's fearless. She's knowledgeable. So I let her do it. However, it got me thinking, just given the fact that um, she's super handy and she's here. She gets it, gets it done for us. What about all of you guys? And, you know, are you handy people? What kind of projects do you like to get involved with and things like that? And I've got some follow-up questions that I can get to, but Alex, let me start with you. I mean, are you a handy guy? Are, are you a guy who likes to sort of get your hands dirty and, and get in there with sort of home improvement projects? 
I I will say somewhat. My my biggest issue, and I I didn't realize it for the longest time, but it has to do with my vision and, and my tunnel vision is. I can't do straight lines. So, like, if there's ever anything that needs to be, like, drawn out or, or like, cut in a straight line, I am not the guy for you because it's going to be all over the place. It's going to be wonky. It's going to be wavy. It's going to be going back and forth. So when it comes to things like precision like that, I can't do it. But that said, if you need something, like, put together or, like, uh, if you're building something and you need the physical labor, the hands-on help, I'm 100% for that. I, I can do that. I can help put together cabinets, things like that. I can, uh, like, a, a while ago, many years ago at this point, but um, I helped my godfather, who's a general contractor, build our uh, back gazebo. So it was me and him over the course of, like, three or four days putting this thing together. That's fine for me. I, I, I don't mind getting my hands dirty and doing that, but it's when it comes to, like, okay, measuring out, okay, I got to cut here, I got to do this or that. It's not going to turn out well. I made one sundial in in high school, and needless to say, I think it tells the time accurately twice a day, and that's about it. <laughs> All right, Remy, I hear you chuckling over there. So what about you? What kind of projects do you like to get involved with? Well, I haven't even made a sundial yet, so you've upgraded, Alex. <laughs> but um, I love helping. I'm. I think I make a pretty good assistant. I kind of know my tools. I can definitely follow instructions and and be precise. the The fear part of it comes for me, I guess, from how much other people want me around if they're doing handiwork. Like I've definitely helped put my own bedroom set together and dining set together and all kinds of things like that. Even uh, drilling holes for my curtain rods and putting art on the walls. But if I get the sense that others are like, eh, I don't know, and, and they're hesitant to get me to help them, then that really affects the way that I feel about my own, you know, ability to help gotcha yeah nisreen is here with us this morning as well nisreen what about you oh so how handy am i i put a <laughs> chair together an accent chair together a month ago and i've been so confident ever since and yesterday i sat on it and found out it was a bit wiggly so <laughs> clearly <laughs> not the best project but you know i was still confident i was like i put this together this two piece and two um uh, what do you call it what do you what do you even call it the uh, the screws Legs? yes screws that's the word <laughs> see i don't even know my tools but um, I always ask my dad for help, like any project. He just loves to work on things. When there's nothing, okay. he'll find something to work on. And how handy am I and how I can contribute to this project? I can pass you the tools. I can make mm -hmm. you coffee. I can sit in the corner and entertain you. Um, that's, that's how I can help. Uh, don't just don't ask me to help you build anything because it's not going to work out. So I've heard one word consistently through the conversation here and that's confidence. And let me tell you, I like Alex did not do well in woodshop class in school, but when I bought my house and started having to do things for myself, that's where I found that confidence. And I found that once you get over that hump of the fear of failure, 
then you can do anything. And so I remember building a deck in our backyard. I'd never nice. done any type of woodworking before, but I did my research. I bought the right equipment. I put it together and that thing stood for 10 years before we finally took it down and did some, some landscaping and stuff. But I've built all kinds of things over the years because I got over that initial hump of fear and I built that deck. Well, the next thing I built a shed, I finished our basement, um, you know, with help from friends and stuff. But Nisreen, you just said your dad is is sort of like your go-to helper. Yes. I'm lucky in that my neighbors around me are all tradespeople. So I've got a painter across the street, I've got an electrician next door, and I got a mechanic behind me. So I've got people that I can call upon if I need that extra little expertise or help. Alex, do you have anybody, you know, in your life that you can call upon if you're you're run into a problem that you can't handle? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like you, I, I have a lot of uh, very skilled uh, people in my life. Like if it's a some, small project, first call will always be to my dad. But, you know, he he's handy, but he's he's not trained or anything. My godfather is actually a general con, uh, contractor, and he's done uh, like basically every room in our, our house over the years. He's currently redoing our, our basement, and it's coming together really well. But that said, too, I also have a, a friend who's um, be, who's in the process of becoming a licensed plumber. I got a, another couple friends who are, are licensed electricians. So I, I've surrounded myself with very skilled people with very specific skills that I can call upon uh, when, when I run into problems down the road. Ramia, what about you? I would say my family is not handy at all, so <laughs> we don't really rely on each other for that kind of support. Um, however, my neighbor, who has low vision as well, he's great with a lot of things. So I've, over the last year alone, picked up uh, tons of confidence, as you're talking about, some actual skill level. And then I will shout out to our woodworker on Kelly & Company, Jeff Thompson, who's genuinely walked us through so many different um, applications and techniques as totally blind or uh, people with low vision. And those tips have been extremely helpful over the last couple of years as well, Mike. Well, I thought that was a great conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think the big takeaway here is, you know, confidence. Don't be afraid to try something unless it's something where, you know, you, you're going to knock your entire house down. <laughs> Give it a try or don't do anything where you're going to get hurt, right? Like my wife, I remember took on an electrical project while I was away from the house. And I came home and she's like, yeah, I put this light in uh, in the uh, stairwell. Uh, I said, oh, okay. Um, did you connect the ground wire? What's that? <laughs> I said, oh. I said, you see this little copper wire? It needs to be attached to the that, that little green screw. And she's like, oh, I didn't think you had to do that. I said, well, I kind of like our house the way it is. Let's just sort of turn that off and we'll reverse that and we'll fix that for you. So don't electrocute yourself. Don't get yourself in situations where you can be hurt. Don't be afraid to ask for help, but also don't be afraid to sort of take it on. Because once you get over that initial sort of lack of confidence, you never know where it's going to take you. Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for leading and bringing this conversation uh, to us. I, I will let you go for now. We'll talk again, again soon. Nisreen, thank you for chatting with me. And Ramya, before we let you go, we have only about 30 to 40 seconds. Can you tell us a bit about what's coming up on this episode of Kelly & Co.? 
So today at 2 p.m. Eastern, we talked to nutritionist Julia Caranches about staying calm. She's going to bring us ways that we can stay calm, practice calmness. We're also talking with Johnny Tai. He's a blind artist based in BC. And we're talking about his passion for fine arts and his upcoming residency at the Vancouver Grunt Gallery. And we have our parenting segment with Lucia Belafonte talking about how parents and children can work together, collaborate together, and talk to make these holidays a really fun time for everybody. That's amazing. Sounds like a great episode. Ramia, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks, Alex. So if you at home want to get in contact with us here at AMI, there's plenty of ways you can do it. You can you can obviously message us on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc., on Twitter at Accessible Media. That's where you can vote on the polls, leave comments, things like that. You can also send us an email, feedback at ami.ca, or even go old school, give us a call, leave a voicemail, 1-866-509-4545. We definitely want to hear from you. Coming up after the break, we are going to be checking in with sports with Brock Richardson. We're going to be finding out some latest tech trends with Nelson Rego. And I'm going to be getting into a discussion about the legacy of former President John F. Kennedy. That's now with Dave Brown coming to you live on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mike filling in for Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. Coming up on this second hour of the show, the RNIB has recently recognized Samsung smart TVs for their accessibility to users. Nelson Rego fills you in on that story. Author Dr. Stephen F. Knott discusses his book, Coming to Terms with John F. Kennedy. And we have another edition of our weekly news panel, but this time we have Mike Ross, Karen McGee, and Jim Cresco while I'm in the Quizmaster host chair. So this is going to be exciting. Now, let's start with our regional news, and we'll head to Mike Ross for that. Thank you, Alex. We'll begin in British Columbia. Prince Rupert RCMP say a 44-year-old man is believed to have shot and killed a 52-year-old woman at a local mall Monday morning before attempting to take his own life. The incident led to a lockdown in the area around Ocean Center Mall after what police say was an isolated incident involving two people who knew each other. Police say in a statement that the woman was pronounced dead at the scene. The man is in hospital in critical condition. Investigators are asking the public for surveillance, dash cam, or other video recordings from around the mall between 6 and 9 a.m. Seven commercial poultry farms in B.C.'s Fraser Valley have been quarantined because they've tested positive for a highly infectious avian flu. The province's Ministry of Agriculture says the farms tested positive between November 16th and 19th. Six are in Abbotsford, one is in Chilliwack in the Fraser Valley, the same area where more than 17 million birds were culled in 2004 when avian flu swept through numerous farms. The ministry says producers within a 10-kilometer radius have been notified and all infected farms have been placed under quarantine by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. To the prairies, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith will take to television tonight for an address to the province. 
Her speech is to be carried live on local CTV and global stations at 6.30 p.m., as well as on the Alberta government website. NDP leader Rachel Notley said any taxpayer-funded address for the province should also include an opportunity for the the official opposition to respond. Smith, who became leader of the United Conservative Party in early October, is to return next week to the legislature after winning a by-election in the constituency of Brooks Medicine Hat. Manitoba's chief medical health officer, is going to take part in a telephone town hall tonight to answer parents' questions as the number of children with respiratory viruses continues to climb. Dr. Brent Rusin says health officials will also stress the need for preventive action such as getting flu shots and washing hands. He says the province is being hit by three viruses at once, COVID-19, the seasonal flu, and respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. Rusin is going to be joined in the town hall by Dr. Elizabeth Doyle, medical director and section head of pediatric emergency medicine at Winnipeg's Children's Hospital. To Ontario, an Environment Canada meteorologist says climate change could intensify storms like the one that dumped a record amount of snow on some communities in southern Ontario this past weekend. Parts of the Bruce Peninsula saw more than 50 centimeters of snowfall on Sunday alone, breaking a single-day record dating back to 1982. The storm was the result of Arctic air descended over the Great Lakes that picked up the warmth and moisture of the unfrozen water in what's called a lake-effect snow event. Warning preparedness meteorologist Jeff Colson says warmer temperatures and falls that result in warmer lake temperatures could produce stronger snow squalls in the coming decades. And in the Atlantic region, a new $250 million federal grant program could see middle and low-income homeowners eligible for up to $5,000 to switch from heating oil to electric heat pumps. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser made the announcement yesterday. It says the grant is especially needed in Atlantic Canada, where about 30% of homes still heat with oil. Fraser says the money will cover costs such as the installation of heat pumps, the electrical upgrades required for the new equipment, and the removal of oil tanks. The new funding is in addition to an envelope of $250 million over four years that was announced in September to help assist people with home heating costs with nearly half of that money earmarked for Atlantic Canada. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll be checking in with you in a couple minutes more just to find out about the weather. But first, let's bring in Brock Richardson, who has our sports report. Good morning, Brock. It's great to have you back on. We missed you yesterday, but it sounds like you had quite a busy weekend. Yes, I did. I was at the... uh... 2022 Canadian Bocce National Championships. And for those of you that might be listening for the first time or relatively recently, you may not know that I spent uh, half my life uh, participating in bocce. And uh, it was a great opportunity to uh, go there and see the national championships. Uh, There was a couple of highlights we had in the BC1 category. Uh, Lance Kreiderman from Ontario win uh, the gold medal. And then we also had Hanif Mauji win the silver medal from Vancouver, BC, who is a 
uh, Paralympian as well. And then in third place was also um, Vancouver's um, Chris Halpin, who won third as well in that division. And then we had in the BC2 division, we had Quebec's uh, Danica Allard winning the uh, gold medal there, who's going to be a member of the national program who will be going to Brazil in about 11 to 10 days for world championships. And the BC3, the highlights that I would give, and the difference there is that BC3s use ramps to propel the bocce balls. So um, yeah, Eric Bouchard won uh, that event, who's stepping away from the international scene uh, for Team Canada, but still going to be competing at the national level. So lots of good highlights uh, from that event. And uh, we'll have some sound on the neutral zone and video coming up in the next few weeks. Oh, that that's great to hear. And it, it seems like, you know, Canada's uh, uh, national program, that they were represented well and they were competing well, which is always something you you, you want to see, especially as you mentioned, there is a, a world's uh, championships coming up in, in a little bit in Brazil. So it's always nice that there is that, uh, uh, that strong competition and strong play right before those international competitions. Yeah, this is the first time that this event has been in such close proximity to a world championships. I think they're trying it out, putting the national championship where it was to see if that sort of helps the athletes be primed and ready to go, as you uh, mentioned. So we'll see what comes out of it uh, over the next little while when we get started in this in about 10 to 12 days. But I also had the opportunity, Alex, to be the master of ceremonies at the uh, closing ceremonies, which was really, really cool, you know, to be amongst uh, my peers and to do that was kind of fun and seeing some awards being given out and kind of adding my own spin as MC, you know, being involved in the sport, it was fun and, and listening to the fact that the national program uh, got about 30 medals uh, last season, uh, that's pretty good. And as you point out, I think they're in good shape uh, moving forward from here on out. So good times. Well, I mean, they couldn't really do much better than than you as their MC. You know, you're you know how to have fun and keep things light. So I'm sure it was an amazing uh, ceremony that uh, you were able to to oversee. So that's great to hear, Brock, and and we're glad to have you back. Now we did miss you yesterday. Me and Jeff got into a discussion about the Great Cup, but you you wanted to share a couple of uh, your two cents on it as well. Yes, I did uh, see the two of you yesterday morning having this discussion. And uh, I really liked the story of the Argos uh, winning the Grey Cup. I think that that was pretty cool. I don't think anybody expected them uh, to win. I think the one thing I will say that I don't like about media is as soon as the game is done, who did they turn to? And they said, Andrew Harris, are you coming back next year? Can we let the, uh, you know, the championship sink in before we start sticking microphones in uh, in people's faces? And... I understand they want the headline and they get it, but I think as a former athlete, sometimes you want to breathe and, and enjoy the experience before you start thinking about your future. But all in all, one of the best football games I've I've seen in a long time. No, Brock, as soon as the game is done, you're you're on to the next season. I mean, the season's over. The uh, Even as they hand out the trophies, or, they're always going to be asking these questions, even before while the confetti is still flying. I, I agree uh, with you. I, I agree with you. You know, it's one of those things like let them soak up the moment like this is 
not only was it a, a great game, it was a huge accomplishment. No one really saw Toronto winning this game, especially with Zach Claros playing and, you know, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers going for that three-peat and being up in the fourth quarter. And it's just like, yeah, like this was huge. Just soak it in for a minute. Just allow the 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 weight of the moment, you know, to sink in and, and, and the the level of the game. But uh yeah, no, we 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 always on to the next one. We always gotta have the uh uh the talking points and everything ready, right? So it's, Yeah, it's I mean, the piece of confetti had not even fallen on Andrew <laughs> Harris yet, it seemed, uh when they were sticking the microphone. And I I've been there, Alex, where you know, you finish uh, a Paralympic Games and the next question is what's next in your future? And we've done it on the neutral zone. We've done it here. What's next for you? It's literally just that piece. But I think we forget sometimes in the media, we got to let them breathe and and think about what they've accomplished first before we start making them think about the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you want to also touch on kind of the NHL and, and give a bit of a roundup on some of the scores. Yes. So, uh, some kind of cool, couple of cool things happened. Uh, Patrice Bergeron hit the 1,000 point mark yesterday in a 5-3 victory over Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, both very strong teams, but Patrice Bergeron uh, has been around a long time. And to hit that 1,000 uh, point mark against a team like Tampa Bay, that's pretty cool. And uh, I enjoyed watching it. And it, uh, Boston is a really good team. Like, they are leading the Atlantic Division, and they're just playing you know the right way to play hockey and it's it's really fun to watch them they they kind of have everything they need from from top to bottom on that organization so to me the boston bruins are going to be a force to be reckoned with speaking of a force to be reckoned with alex the uh, new jersey devils continue their winning ways and they're now up to 13 games which some would say is the bad luck number for a winning streak again this is another situation where nobody expected the New Jersey Devils to be where they are. But when you put wins together and you are, you know, consistently playing the right way, this can happen. And I I hate to put this out there already, but when you put yourself in in the position as the Devils have, they've gotten the points they need to, and they've kind of solidified themselves in a good position going through the league. And I think they'll make the playoffs because of this win streak however long it goes. Yeah, it's, it's to me, it's it's so early. Like, it, it's November, but I agree with you, Brock. I mean, it, it's when you start to look back, and, and I was always kind of guilty of this, especially when you got to, like, you know, March and, and early April and even uh, late February, you're kind of starting to look, okay, well, how many points are we going to need? Every single win matters. Well, the more wins you get in early in the season, the less games you let slip by the greater your chances are. I've already had uh, uh, some of my buddies who are Devils fans chirping me over the weekend because they they just uh, uh, trampled my my poor sons uh, not too long ago. But yeah, they're they're a solid team. They're they're an ex- like not always the most exciting, but it's like I mean they're putting up they're putting up points. There's a lot of uh, games in in looking at the scores and looking at the stand. It just the good teams just keep on rolling. They're consistent. They're just putting those games together. And as you say, like 13 games, it may be unlucky. I don't I don't think the Devils are, are going to – they're already the Devils. I mean, uh, it's, uh, you you have an unlucky uh, uh, name as a, as a Devils. Uh, I think they're probably going to be looking to go for n- uh, number 14. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, 
now they're starting to beat teams uh, twice in this uh, streak. You know, they beat the Edmonton Oilers uh, twice now in this streak. It's it's pretty cool, and and they're playing the Leafs, who they beat uh, last week in this streak in Toronto, albeit uh, Toronto kind of coughed up a lead, as they did last night. But I, this proves to me, Alex, you don't always need the flashy names on a team. You need guys who can get it done, who can play the right way, and that's what you're getting with New Jersey. And sometimes when you can put the egos aside and play for the greater good, this is what you get. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you you look at Edmonton, uh, Connor McDavid, you know, arguably the best player in the, of a generation. You got uh, a Matthews in Toronto. Well, both teams, yeah, Toronto's doing okay. But, I mean, the expectations for both those teams are sky high. You, you want to win those divisions. You want to be in a deep playoff runs. And both teams give up some some really ugly losses. Now, they can still win. They can still put up the points. But, yes, there, there needs to be some uh, some work done on those teams going forward. But uh, time, time will tell if, we were able to, if they're able to bring it all together. Toronto is 1-5 in, in overtime this year. Yeah. With all of that talent, you would think they would be 5-1. and one. And I know Mike Ross is around, and I, <laughs> I feel bad for Mike Ross being up there in the – PA uh, booth and you think oh they got the lead and then they go to overtime and it's like nope there we go on the uh, three on three in Toronto coughs it up again but as you point out you see the same thing with Edmonton in that you see all the talent and it's like really guys you're coughing up games you shouldn't be so that's hockey and that's sports well and speaking of Mike Ross we will have to head over to him at weather but before we let you go I want to find out what's coming up on the next episode of the neutral zone Jason Yuha who is one of the most prolific uh, blind hockey Canadian players there is. He's been uh, listed as Connor McDavid-esque in blind hockey. We're going to be chatting with him. It's a great conversation. Stay tuned for that. Plus, we uh, put a bow on the Grey Cup uh, for this year, and we talk about the Teoscar Hernandez trade from our beloved Toronto Blue Jays. Jason, yee-haw, you-haw. Okay, that sounds like a, a great, uh, great episode. Brock, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Not a problem. Okay, and the Zone airs Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. So speaking of Mike Ross, let's head back to him now to get the AMI weather update. Thank you, Alex. It is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We will begin in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there will be periods of snow today, 2 to 4 centimeters in total. Your high is 0, your wind chill minus 8. Charlottetown, PEI, clear skies this morning and a temperature steady near plus four. St. John, New Brunswick will be mainly cloudy with a temperature steady near minus three, the wind chill minus 11. Quebec City will be mainly cloudy today and a temperature will be steady near minus three, the wind chill minus 11. Let's go to Toronto, a mix of sun and clouds today, a high of plus two, the wind chill this morning minus four. As we head to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario next, cloudy, and a chance of some flurries there today. Your high is plus two, your wind chill minus eight. Brandon, Manitoba, you got clearing skies today with a high of plus two and a wind chill minus 14. Regina, Saskatchewan, you've got mainly sunny skies, the high of plus two, and the wind chill is going to be around minus 12 this morning. Lethbridge, Alberta, mainly sunny, a high of plus two and a wind chill of minus 12. 
Red Deer, Alberta has cloudy skies with a high of 8 degrees. Let's go to Whitehorse next. A mix of sun and cloud with a chance of some flurries. The temperature will begin falling towards zero this afternoon. Kelowna, BC, cloudy with some snow, about five centimeters in total. Your temperature steady near zero. And Vancouver has some rain coming, plenty of it. Though it'll end near the midday, the high there is nine degrees. And that is your national weather report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. Coming up after the break, the RNIB has recently recognized Samsung smart TVs for their accessibility to users. Nelson Rago fills you in on the latest. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Spice filling in for Dave. Every week, our friends at Cool Blind Tech scour the web for interesting stories. Nelson Rego is the founder of the group, and he joins us now from his home um, in my old stomping town, uh, stomping ground of Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, Nelson, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. So Samsung's new smart TV received accreditation by the RNIB for adhering to the charity's tri uh, tried and tested certification. So what does it mean to have that certification? Uh, it's uh, basically a uh, gold seal of approval uh, for those users uh, or consumers uh, that are looking for products that are accessible uh, to someone who's uh, blind or partially sighted. Uh, and this would apply to apps, uh, websites, uh, products and services. So um, it's not something that we'd probably see out here, but uh, if someone's in the UK and and they have this uh, a seal of approval, then they'll make the consumer um, less hesitant to actually purchase that product and, and be more inclined to uh, um, go with a product like Samsung, who has actually won this um, this certification uh, two times in the, in the past couple of years. Absolutely, you know, it's just as you you mentioned, it's the seal approval. It's an easy uh, kind of mark to know. Oh, okay, there's already, there's accessibility features and and things that are going to work for me. So let's let's go through some of these accessibility features, and we'll start with the voice guide. So what does that give users? Yeah, some uh, might be familiar with the uh, voice guide. Uh, they had uh, a similar feature on their phones. Uh, it's essentially a simplified uh, screen reader, which allows the uh, user to hear back audibly uh, what's uh, happening on the screen as they navigate it uh, and as they're using their controls to uh, sort of uh, figure out uh, what's happening on the screen. Um, now, there is a caveat. Uh, so with all these TVs, there's uh, a bunch of apps. So it's not... 100% uh, uh, working because you got uh, third-party apps, uh, but for the Samsung itself, for, for their apps and for their services, um, it allows the end user to, to hear uh, what's happening on the screen uh, by the uh, uh, the text uh, that's on the screen. Yeah, that, that's a good note that, you know, third-party apps and, and things like that, they may not always be as compatible. But uh, what about the high contrast feature? Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, the high contrast uh, just basically uh, switches the uh, um, the background to black, and then has the uh, the text can be switched to a yellow or a white, uh, making it easier for the user to uh, see the screen. Uh, also, the there's a transparent uh, sort of menu system uh, that gets changed to be more opaque, so that uh, the person who's uh, partially sighted can see the text uh, in the menus a little bit better. Other 
aside from, uh, you know, just having a transparent background, which is basically the background of the screen. And when you're seeing the motion of the screen, uh, that can throw some people off when they're trying to read the text. Now, they also have grayscale and color inversion. Like, what's the difference between those two? Uh, well, grayscale just uh, basically turns your TV to a black and white screen. <laughs> so uh, those of us who, uh, who may remember a black and white screens back in the day, uh, it'll, it'll uh, have various uh, degrees of black and white uh, for that screen. So if someone has have, is having issues uh, seeing color, uh, that's good for that user. Now, for the color inversion, it's um, it's basically what most of us would recognize as sort of a, a dark mode. So the background would be, uh, be black, uh, the text would be white, uh, and the, but the media would still be in color. Uh, so it just makes it easier for the, the user who may have some eye strains. And this is good, actually good for uh, most people if they're watching something um, at, in dark time, like if you're watching a movie in the middle of the night. Uh, it's good to, to have like the background to be uh, dark, uh, just to have that less strain on the eyes when, instead of having that big bright screen that's going there. Absolutely. I mean, I always rely on, on dark screen. It just makes the uh, eye strain far less uh, intense. Now, uh, there's also an app called Sea Colors. Can you tell me a bit about that one? Yeah, th this this would allow, uh, and this specific to certain models. Uh, so if you have a Samsung uh, QLED uh, screen, um, there's a feature or an app that's uh, built into the to the TV, which allows the users to customize the colors to suit uh, uh, what they see. So if you have some level of uh, color blindness, um, you want to tweak the screen a little bit to, to adjust the colors, uh, you could do that with that feature for those specific uh, televisions. And now you always like to give us your, your tech tip uh, when you come on. So uh, today you're going to be telling us about how to use emergency SOS via satellite services on the iPhone 14. Uh, so this basically is really useful when you're out in, and you can't get a cell phone signal. You can still access um, uh, emergency help through satellite. So can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, uh, this just launched uh, just a couple days ago, um, and it's uh, available in Canada and U.S., uh, it's expected to be available in France, Germany, UK, and Ireland in uh, next next month, actually. Um, and that allows the uh, the user, so if, if they're looking to make a, uh, if they have an emergency in the middle of nowhere, and, uh, you know, obviously you're not going to have any cell towers or Wi-Fi, uh, so uh, the end user would, would go through the emergency call, um, and then as that call is dropped, it'll say call failed. It'll be a, a green button on the on the screen. Uh, which basically allows the the user, and this is specific for iPhone 14 users. So if you have iPhone 14, uh, 14 Plus, uh, um, Pro and Pro Max, uh, specific for those users, and you have to have uh, iOS 16.1 for this uh, to show up on your phone. So uh, all that being said, uh, it allows the user to uh, basically send text messages uh, to emergency services. Uh, so for in Canada or, or USB uh, 911, and then allow the user to uh, send it directly to a satellite. Um, so you have to be in clear line sight of uh, the satellite. And the cool thing is actually uh, the phone will actually help you find the satellite. Uh, so if you're in an area where there's trees or there's uh, things in the way, it'll uh, put you uh, in an area where there's uh, hopefully that's clear where you can uh, communicate with that satellite. Um, now, the good thing that Apple has done is that uh, instead of trying to test this out and calling uh, 911, uh, they do have a demo feature, uh, so if you do have your iPhone 14 model, 
Uh, if you go into settings and then in there, uh, there's emergency SOS. And then if you scroll down, there's a demo feature uh, that allows you to go to the through the steps. Um, and of course, there's no audio involved in this. So, so someone might be thinking they might be able to talk to someone. Uh, so this is just basically uh, simplified text messages that are sent back and forth. Um, but, but this is only a feature that's a, a for iPhone 14 right. users. So anyone who wants to use this with their older phone, uh, they're going to be out of luck. So you'll have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, put up that extra money and, and get that feature, especially if you're an outdoorsy person. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing they do they did mention is that uh, it's going to be free for the next two years. So uh, it looks like they may be charging this um, a subscription model after uh, right. two years. Well, that, that's good to know. Nelson, thank you so much for coming on, giving us a tip, and filling us in on the Samsung TV. Appreciate it. Take, take care. Uh, so that was Nelson Rago from Cool Blind Tech is speaking to us today from his home in Edmonton. Uh, now, our friends over at Tripping on Air podcast are getting into the holiday spirit with a special getaway. A giveaway, sorry, not a getaway. Uh, you can visit ami.ca slash TOA contest to review the list of prizes they're giving away as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Be sure to enter for your chance to win. The contest does close December 1st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern, so you've got to hurry up, and winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping on Air Instagram page. Coming up after the break, author Dr. Stephen F. Knott discusses the book Coming to Terms with John F. Kennedy. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, filling in for Dave while he is away on vacation. Today marks the 59th anniversary of the assassination of U.S. President John F. Kennedy. Since his death, it is estimated that more than 40,000 books worldwide have been published about Kennedy and his legacy. Author Dr. Stephen Knott recently offered his contribution to that ever-growing canon with his book, Coming to Terms with John F. Kennedy. The book is available in audiobook format on Audible. He's speaking to us today from Canton, Massachusetts. Hello, Dr. Knott. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. So you worked at Kendi's Presidential Library in Massachusetts. What made you want to examine his legacy and presidency with a book? Well, I grew up, as you mentioned, I grew up in Massachusetts in a Kennedy-worshipping family. And I use that term, worshipping, with uh, some precision, because for Irish Catholics of a certain age, the fact that John F. Kennedy sort of broke the religious barrier in terms of uh, the first Catholic president in the White House, that made him something of a saintly figure in the eyes of my parents. And I sort of inherited that almost worshipful attitude towards President Kennedy. So my first job out of college was at his presidential library. Uh, my parents could not have been happier. Uh, over time, my own political views began to change somewhat, and I moved more in a conservative direction. And I thought at this late stage in my life, it was probably an appropriate time to go back and look at President Kennedy, not through the kind of rose-colored glasses that I grew up with, but in a more objective manner. And, and so what were some of the, I guess, the perceptions that you may have had of his legacy when you were younger and when you went to look back and explore again? Like, what were some of the changes that you saw in, 
in his legacy or, or your perception of his legacy? When I was younger, I bought into what in the United States they commonly referred to as kind of the Camelot myth, uh, that this was an era, this brief presidency was an era when a very young, intelligent, uh, handsome president uh, ruled over the country. And it was a mythical take on the presidency. In fact, Jacqueline Kennedy is one is the one who used the term Camelot. Um, I managed to sort of shed those myths, as I said, as I grew older. And I think it went a little too far in the other direction of dismissing Kennedy, who I actually think was a man of some substance um, and uh, is somebody that Americans and perhaps people around the world can admire in 2022, particularly in an era when, at least in the United States, We've had, um, I would say, a kind of checkered recent presidency, and I'm referring to Donald Trump, that's my opinion, but um, Kennedy offers, I think, an alternative to the kind of snarling nativist presidency of a Donald Trump, and Kennedy at least attempted to appeal to the better angels, as Abraham Lincoln would say, of the American character. Were there things that you learned when you went back to explore that you didn't know before? And and beyond just like kind of what your perceptions that may have changed, but there was new information that you may not have been aware of before. Well, I think the most profound uh, revelation for me, and again, I, I grant there's speculation here on my part. I used to firmly believe that Kennedy would have followed a very similar path to that of Lyndon Johnson in terms of American involvement in Vietnam. I no longer believe that to be the case. Now, I can't say that, obviously, with 100% certainty, but it does seem to me that the evidence is overwhelming, that this was a president, John F. Kennedy, who hated war, who would not have simply sat by as Americans returned from Vietnam by the hundreds, week after week after week in the late 1960s. That just strikes me as something completely contrary uh, to John F. Kennedy, who, as I said, despised war, had seen war up close and personal during World War II, had lost two crew members on PT-109. This is a man who hated war, and I just don't see him going down the same path in Vietnam as Johnson did. How can uh, we, when we look back at history, how can we kind of stop ourselves from examining past leaders through, as you mentioned, those rose-covered glasses and really get into the heart and examine the pros and cons of what their true impact and legacy is? That's a great question, and it takes some work. And I realize that all citizens don't have the time necessarily to do the kind of work. Uh, But one thing that's important is to withhold your judgment about political figures until a certain time period has elapsed. And I would argue at least 20 years to allow the partisan passions to cool to allow your own emotional commitment to various political figures or political movements to cool, and to apply just kind of a cold uh, reason. Use your intellect. Go and look at a variety of sources. Make your own assessments. Don't be caught up in the sort of conventional narrative of the day. Uh, Again, it's not an easy thing to do. It's something I tried to do in this book. I think it's especially important for Americans these days Uh, and Canadians as well, uh, where we all seem to be locked into a certain political view and question the patriotism of those who disagree with that. That is so unhealthy for self-government. Well, and the thing I think of when it comes to Kennedy uh, specifically, it seems like 
opinions and, and, and passions are, are split. It's either going to be, you know, he is one of the greatest presidents ever. He, he, he could have done no wrong. And then on the flip side, oh, he's one of the worst ever. It, it, there's, there's division <laughs> there. There's no, there's no middle ground. It's like, oh, yeah, he was fine. Or, oh, yeah, I disagreed with some things, but that was it. Like, why do you think it is – uh, in his case, that it's that polarizing, um, that nature, uh, the legacy that he has? I think it became so polarizing when he was elevated into this mythical, again, not to beat a dead horse, but this sort of mythical Camelot produced this reaction that was equally, I think, inaccurate and unhealthy. And it did lead to the creation, as you said, of sort of two camps, the mythology believers, and for lack of a better term, the haters. And uh, it's it's difficult, even six, almost 60 years after his death, to sort of uh, find a middle ground between those two camps. I hope I've done that in this book, but I grant you, as and your question is a great one, it's really hard to do with somebody who was elevated into a kind of mythical, almost sainthood status. Does his death play a elevated role in, in in raising that 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 sainthood? No because, question. Yeah, no question. Terrific question. Yes, the fact that this young forty six year old president was killed in broad daylight, sitting next to his beautiful thirty four year old wife, who by the way rarely traveled with him on these kind of domestic political trips, it was kind of amazing that she was even there. The fact that this was the, the funeral was televised straight for the next 72 hours, which was the first time the American television networks had done such a thing. All of that, the tragedy of this young death, this young president's death, contributes to this mythology, and it makes it very difficult to sort of separate fact from embellished fiction. So, yes, no question, the circumstances of his tragic death make it all the more challenging to find the real John F. Kennedy. And finally, I, I want to kind of get your perspective. Based on all the, the research, the information compiling this book, was did he have a positive or negative impact during his time in office? I would say in terms of the public sphere, the man that sort of used the powers of the presidency, the so-called bully pulpit, to appeal to what is best in the American past. This is a man who knew how to deliver a speech on some occasions, a very moving speech. So I admire the president who called their fellow citizens to engage in a form of public service, to give back to their country for something. I think Kennedy's establishment of the Peace Corps is a great example of that, for instance. On the downside, of course, this was a man who led a somewhat checkered private life. And on occasion, that private misbehavior bled over into his public life. And that, of course, is not a president or a person that I particularly admire. So like all individuals, this man had his pros and his cons. In the final analysis, I conclude that the pros outweighed the cons, but I certainly understand those who might disagree with that take. Dr. Knott, thank you so much for chatting me uh, about JFK and his legacy today. It was really insightful. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much. Dr. Stephen F. Knott is a professor at the National Security Affairs Department at the U.S. Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. He is the author of the book, Coming to Terms with John F. Kennedy, and the book is, audio, uh, is available on audio format at audible.com, and he spoke to me from Canton, Massachusetts. 
Coming up next, we have our next edition of the Weekly News Quiz with Mike Ross, Karen McGee, and Jim Crisco. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. I'm your host, Alex Smythe. It's Tuesday, so that means we have our weekly news quiz. But... <laughs> I got cut off by, by the old sound intro. I was going to say, but it's a bit different because I'm in the Quizmaster chair today. Uh, why don't we welcome in our contestants, welcoming it back to the show, Mike Ross... Hello. Hello, hello. Welcoming in Karen McGee. Good morning, gentlemen. And finally, last but not least, Mr. Jim Crisco. (laughs) It's great to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So for (laughs) those at home, uh, these questions were all compiled by our producer, Paul Daniel. There are three rounds of questions, three questions each round, three multiple choice options per question, and answers correctly without hearing the options will be awarded two points but if you answer it correctly after hearing the options you will get one point now you get it wrong it moves on to the next person in the order until someone gets it right the order of contestants have been drawn at random by paul daniel and the order today will be karen followed by mike and followed by jim so round one karen the two, uh, two people were killed last Tuesday when a stray missile landed in which NATO member country? Poland. That is correct for two points for Karen. Investigators believe that it was an air missile that was launched by Ukraine against a Russian attack and landed in Poland by mistake. Ukraine is disputing this. Question number two, over to Mike. Donald Trump announced this week that he would seek the presidency again in 2024. Who was the last president to win non-consecutive second terms? Was it Grover Cleveland? Oh, sorry. I, I'm, I'm getting too far into the week. <laughs> I'll take the options. Okay. Was it Grover Cleveland, John Quincy Adams, or Franklin Pierce? Ooh. That's a tough uh, one. Yeah. I'm, it's going to be a complete guess, and I'll go with John Quincy Adams. That is incorrect, unfortunately. So moving over to Jim, is it Grover Cleveland or Franklin Pierce? Well, uh, this is a guess, so I might be handing this one to Karen, but I'll say uh, Grover Cleveland. That is correct for one point for Jim. Oh. Nice. I was going to say, you don't you, you don't get the, the audio cue, unfortunately. Cleveland is the only U.S. president to win two non-consecutive terms. During his era, 1880s to the 1890s, the country was closely divided, and Cleveland spent the years between the two terms delivering speeches and continuing to lead the party. Question three for Jim. FTX, recently valued at $32 billion, has filed for bankruptcy. What type of company is it? Uh... Bitcoin. Are we going to allow that one? I think so. I, I would say so. Him. I would say so. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to give Jim the two points. I'm in. I'm in charge now. Cryptocurrency exchange, having to Thanks, do Alex. with cryptocurrency. So two points for Jim. 
Uh, FTX was one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. Among other things, the company's demise has set off reckoning over risky practices that have become pervasive in crypto. Round number two. So, so far after round one, Karen has two points. Mike has zero points. And Jim Crisco is in the lead with three points. Mike, starting with you on this one. It was a tough week for Bob Chapek. He was dismissed, dismissed as CEO of which high-profile company? I'll need options. Is it oh. A, Disney, B, CNBC, or C, CBS Health? Well, as soon as you gave me the first option, I knew that that was correct. But I also knew because Karen went, oh, <laughs> because she loves Disney. Disney oh. is correct. Mike, you are on the board with a point. Chapek is leaving after the company. Chapek. Chapek, Sorry. They, oh, yeah, they she's mispronounced. very sensitive. All yeah. things Disney. Clearly. Careful. Well, and and uh, I, I will uh, uh, blame no, uh, Paul. I could be wrong, too. I could be, uh, the people in my Facebook groups may be Wait, No, no, wait a minute. Because they you, hate you, no, you can't be that, uh, you know, forceful yep, in yep. your rebuttal to Alex if you're not even sure yourself. That's not right. I mean, yeah, that that is. Uh, I'm a cruel true. human being, Mike. Get used to it. <laughs> Chapik or Chapik. Is leaving after the company posted lower than expected earnings in the last quarter. Hollywood's creative community had grumbled about Chappick's cost-cutting measures and sometimes blunt approach to talent, while theme park regulars have been unhappy with price hikes. Walt Disney Company have tapped its former CEO, Bob Iger, to return to head the company for two years as his successor. Question number two in round number two, over to Jim. Earlier this month, it was announced that the oldest known English gold coin had recently been discovered in this Atlantic province. What province is it? Mm, uh, I'll, I'll need the options. I know I, I, I heard it. But... It is. Well, is it Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, or Newfoundland and Labrador? You know what? I'm going to go with Nova Scotia. That is incorrect, Jim. Oh, Karen has a chance to steal and tie it up. Karen. I believe it's Newfoundland and Labrador. That oh. is correct. Karen is now tied up with Jim. The coin was found during the summer of 2022 by Edward Hines, who reported it to the provincial government as required under the Historic Resources Act. It is believed the coin is a Henry VI quarter noble minted in London between 1422 and 1427, the coin would have been sizable am amount of money in the 1400s, valued at one, uh, one shilling, eight pence. Question number three to Karen. Which European country last week uh, elected Natasha Perk Musar, I, I, I'm not sure if I pronounced it right, I hopefully I did, as the first female president? I'll take the choices, please. Is it Romania, Czechia, or Slovenia? I'll go with B. Chechia, that is incorrect. Mike, over to you. Is it Romania or Slovenia? Ooh, let's go Slovenia. That is correct. Yes. A point for Mike. Musar, a lawyer, once represented Slovenian-born former First Lady Melania Trump. Musar pledged to bridge the left-right divide in her country. Over to round three where we have a stalemate between Karen and Jim at three points and 
Mike just behind at two points. Question one for Jim. Which former member of the Trump administration released a new autobiography called So Help Me God? Uh, I'll need the choices on that one. Is it Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, or Stephen Miller? I'll go with Mike Pence. It's just a guess. That is correct for a point for Jim. The former vice president's memoir was released on the same day the former running mate, a.k.a. former President Donald Trump, announced a third bid for the presidency. Question number two over to Karen. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers were unsuccessful in their attempt to cement their dynasty in Sunday's Grey Cup with a victory uh, in a third consecutive championship. The Edmonton Elks hold the record for most consecutive Grey Cup victories. How many did they record? Hello. Oh, I'm right here. Jim? Jim? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> tap, can you tap your mic, please? The number no. Of times, no. Don't do it, Jim. Jim is I'm in the lead. Say, I'm going to say four. That is incorrect. Incorrect. Now over to Mike, who has it's a chance. Five. It's five. It is five. That is correct. Two points for Mike, who is now tied with Jim for the lead. The Edmonton. Sorry. I'm just groaning. He didn't. No, he didn't get the options. Eliza trying to uh, discredit a point from you, Mike. I say no. You got those two points. The Edmonton franchise five consecutive championships uh, games from 1978 to 1982. Question number three for Mike. He can take a commanding win here. U.S. President Joe Biden celebrated his 80th birthday on Sunday. President Biden shares a birthday with a long-gone political hero. Who is it? Am I tied with Jim right now? You are tied with Jim for four points. I'll, I'll take the options. Is it A, Robert Kennedy, B, Humphrey, uh, Hubert Humphrey, or C, Franklin Roosevelt? Uh, I'll take a guess and say Kennedy. You are correct, Mike. It is Robert <laughs> Kennedy. Robert Kennedy was born November 20th, 1925. And were he alive today, Kennedy would be 97 years of age. Congratulations, Mike. You are this whoop, 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 week's whoop. winner of the news quiz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good job, Mike. Nice, nice job, Michael. Thank you very much. Oh, Michael. That means she's angry. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to say, you know, that's that's not a convincing good job uh, no. from from Karen McGee. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's there's some complaints. Here. There, trying there's, to be a good sport. No. Yeah. Trying yeah. to be a good sport. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not going to be Failing mad that miserably. you didn't get the Disney question or, or that uh, uh, you got the sport question instead. You know, the, that... Complaints can be filed. I was filed. close. Like I, yeah. I was like very young then. I'm not from Edmonton. We, our TV channel was very snowy that we got the Grey Cup on when I was a kid. These are my excuses in my brain. <laughs> it was actually snowy at the Grey Cup. <laughs> but but in did fairness, you watch, Jim. did you watch the game, Karen? Uh, bits and pieces. I had it on. I was busy uh, doing some other things, and also it was the Walking Dead series finale okay. Sunday night. So it was a tough choice as I bowed okay. my head in shame. But. Okay. They put, I tuned they in put and out. It was a great game. That's what I saw. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. They put the graphic up 
you know, with the number of uh, multi Grey Cup or consecutive Grey Cup champions, like about 6,000 times. So I thought you would have seen it. <laughs> I must have missed it those times. I, I did. I, like, I watched bits and pieces. Well, I, I also love. I, I also love the fact that well, it was snowing. Well, Jim, it's it's Edmonton in and in, in winter. I mean, most of most of Canada snowing, especially Edmonton. I mean, when I was there, it was literally snowing from September to June. So it's not really that much of a classifier to say that it's not snowing all the time. <laughs> very true. <laughs> well, thank you all very much, Karen McGee. I'll say goodbye to you. Jim Crisco, I'll say goodbye to you. And Mike Ross, any final words of the winner's circle of this week's winner? I don't want to rub it in their faces too much because yes, you know, you I'm do. not a regular. Well, yeah, I, okay, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I mean, I come on. Like, you, you're, you don't always get the, the, the opportunity to do That's so. That's true. So you take take your chances. (laughs) There we go. Perfect. Okay, so that is Mike Ross as well, the winner of this week's news quiz. Next week, Dave will be back, and he'll be in the the host chair. But until then, I'm still going to be with you. Coming up Wednesday on Now with Dave Brown, Arno Kopecky continues our conversation on COP27. That's now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. And I just want to thank all our guests today, Marcy Yale, Lawrence Gunther, Stephen F. Knott, Nelson Rego, Karen McGee, Jim Crisco, and our winner, Mike Ross. So thank you all. Have a great day and try to enjoy yourselves. It should be a fairly comfortable day outside. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.